to you today. It's my privilege to be able to share the Word of God with you today. If you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians, we're going to continue in the series that Pastor Mark is uh, preaching. Hey, what about that band today? Pastor Mark over there, grinning and picking, picking and grinning. Wow. He'll be a regular, you know, from now on. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Are you there? First, First Timothy to Thessalonians. See, that was a trick. I was just seeing if you were listening. First Thessalonians in chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. Lord, I pray that your hand of blessing would be upon this time now as we look into your words for a few moments and discover truths there that will help us uh, in our walk with you. Uh, be in this time in a very real way to uh, speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I, I'm sure that uh, you've heard some of those uh, corny pickup lines that supposedly, you know, guys use with girls. I never used any of them, but uh, ask my wife. I never used, did I? Never used one corny pickup line. I said some corny things, you know, but, but not the corny pickup lines that you hear sometimes that some people say. I mean, they're really cheesy, really corny, but here are a few just for your personal entertainment. <laughs> A guy walks up to her and a girl says, are you a cat? Because I'm feline falling for you. I know, I told you. You can go ahead and groan if you'd like. Um, guy walks up to her and girl and says, uh, I must be a snowflake because I've fallen for you. Oh, I know, another groaner. Guy walks up to a girl and says, even if there wasn't gravity on the earth, I'd still fall for you. That's a nice one. <laughs> Guy walks up to a girl and says, I'm no photographer, but I can picture us together. Hey, they're getting better, huh? <laughs> he says to her, did it hurt when you fell from heaven? Oh. If I had a star for every time you brighten my day, I'd have a galaxy in my hand. Oh, <laughs> ladies, isn't your heart just, you know, pumping with, with love? Okay, I, I told you they were cheesy. Oh, there's another one. I know it's going to sound cheesy, but you're the greatest. Get it? Cheesy? Great. <laughs> okay, we're going back downhill, aren't we? <laughs> I'm done now. If any of you single guys would care to use any of those, be my guest. Good luck with that. <laughs> Couple, we're, today, the reason I tell you that is because today, again, we're talking about love. Um, Remember a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Mark was musing about how many times in Scripture, you know, the Bible says, love one another, and it's almost like we get to the point of saying, not again, like, come on, I've got that, right? Well, we're going to be talking about love again uh, in our Scripture today, and you know, maybe, maybe Scripture talks about uh, loving one another so much because maybe we don't do a very good job at doing that. And maybe we need to be told time and time and time again to remind us of our need to love one another. You know, I, I try to remember every single day to tell my wife that I love her. 
Like I told her that at the altar. Do I need to keep telling? Don't be like the guy who said his wife says to her, "You know, you don't. You never tell me you love me anymore." And he goes, "What? Well, yeah, I love you. You know, I love you. Yeah, but you don't tell me that. I told you when I, I loved you when we got married. And if anything changes, I'll let you know. Right? Don't be that guy. We we. It's good just to be reminded, right? To be reminded of our need to love. In these last two chapters of 1 Thessalonians, we've entered into a very practical part of the book. If you've ever noticed, when you read through the letters of the Apostle Paul, um, there's sort of a pattern that goes in his letters. He sort of starts out deep and theological, right? You read through the book of Romans and chapter 1, all the way up to chapter 10, 11, and then chapter 12, all of a sudden he says, Now, based on everything I've said to you, and he begins to talk in very practical terms about how we ought to apply what we have just learned. This is the case in 1 Thessalonians. Last couple of chapters, chapters 4 and 5, we've entered into a very practical part of this letter with very practical instructions for how we ought to carry out everything now that he's been talking about. And in our verses today, Paul gives two very practical commands that we ought to obey in relation to love. He commands us, number one, to practice brotherly love, and he commands us, number two, oh, he starts to talk about, he expands it, and he says how our love can not only impact one another, but now he expands it to talk about how love can actually impact the world around us, those who don't yet know Jesus. And so let's begin this morning about talking about what he said about loving one another as members of the body of Christ. Let's begin in verse 9. Now concerning the brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. I want you to notice, first of all, that brotherly love is something that is taught. Paul says, I don't need to teach you again. In other words, Paul had already taught this lesson. Sometime before, when he was spending time with them, he taught them about brotherly love, but, but they also have other instructions from Jesus and from the other apostles who consistently wrote about love. He didn't need to bring a weekend conference about loving one another to them. He didn't do, need to do another four-part series on how to love the brethren. They already knew that. They already had Jesus' extensive teaching on love. For example, if you go back to John's gospel, chapter 14 and verse 26, he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, this is Jesus talking, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. In other words, he says, hey, the Holy God has already, Jesus already taught you this stuff. And the Holy Spirit is going to bring that back to, you, to your mind. So I don't really need to say it again. You already know this stuff. And by the way, did, did you know that preachers of the word of God really never ever teach you anything new? They're just teaching you what the Holy Spirit has already revealed. They're just reminding you of what God the Holy Spirit has already taught to us. Because if we have the Holy Spirit living in us, then God the Holy Spirit 
is going to be teaching us everything that Jesus already taught to us. And that's what Paul is really saying here. He's saying that if, that if you're really saved, if you really have the Holy Spirit living in you, then he doesn't need to teach us again about anything about loving other people because you already have that. Again, we're reminded in Romans um, chapter 5 and verse 5, the Apostle Paul wrote, um, he says, and the hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There it is. The Holy Spirit has poured this out into us. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. The apostles themselves, they, they taught a great deal about love. John himself, over in John uh, chapter 4 and verse 7, he writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Hey, I don't need to tell you this again. You've been taught. You know what the Word of God says. The Holy Spirit is revealing this stuff to you all the time. I don't need to say this again, but I'm going to do it anyway because we need to be reminded of the truth about how we need to love one another. Now you say, well, what kind of a love are we talking about? What kind of love is this? Now I know that you know that there are three different words in the Greek language for love. Pastor Mark has talked about this in previous sermons. The word in the, word in the Greek language for love comes in the word eros, erotic it, it generally means emotional, passionate, soap opera kind of love. That's eros. And then we have phileo, which is a brotherly type of love. And then we have agape, which is an unconditional God-like love. Now, eros comes to us naturally. It's kind of like in our DNA. We, we, just, we have emotional love for one another. But then phileo and agape, they don't come so naturally. Those are the types of loves that comes only from God himself. Only God can produce this kind of love in us. Which means that when God, by the Holy Spirit, comes to live in our lives, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit moves in. He carries with him all of the characteristics of God. Because the Holy Spirit is God. And so he not only carries love, but he carries the fruit of the Spirit. He, he, carries, he carries with him the gifts of the Spirit. He, he carries with him uh, the ability to guide us and to remind us and to teach us. See, all of those things, it comes as a package deal. It's kind of like if you go to the hospital, you give birth to a baby. You love that baby. You get ready to go home and... And you would never, ever, in normal circumstances, say to that baby, I love you, I'm thankful for you, welcome to the family, we're going to find someplace else for you to live. That, under normal circumstances, that doesn't happen, right? You, you, love, you take that baby home, the baby moves into your house, and what comes next? Dirty diapers, late nights, wake in the middle of the night, but also all kinds of joy, and all kinds of love, and, and all kinds of learning experiences. You see, it comes as a package deal, and, and you move that child into your home. In the same way, when the Holy Spirit moves into our house, into our lives, when we receive Christ as our Savior, He brings with Him love. 
God kind of love. Not emotional, human kind of love, but it's a God love that we cannot produce in ourselves. This is what Paul is talking about. Um, Love means that there's going to be something like God that begins to happen. And so when we read a passage like this on a Sunday morning, I'm quite certain that that none of us are sitting there going, well, I never heard that before. (laughs) This isn't new to you. You've heard about loving one another. But it's not a bad idea to be, again, reminded of it from time to time. But here's what it also means. It also means... That sometimes, in order to have a God kind of love, we're going to have to step aside and allow God's love to move through us, to shine through us, regardless of what our human nature's instincts want to do. So no longer is that love an eros kind of love, but now it moves into a God kind of love, a phileo agape kind of love. When we step aside and say, okay, God, you're going to have to love through me. And that means that sometimes our love is going to have to be sacrificial, is it not? I mean, it's going to be really hard to love sometimes. Think about Jesus. And in the Bible says, in that while we were still sinners, what? Christ died for us. He showed a sacrificial love that was difficult, that cost him his life. And that's the kind of love that we're talking about. It's a sacrificial kind of love that we're going to have to show sometimes. And it means that we can't be selective. The Bible says, for God so loves just those people who are nice. For God so loves those who love me. (laughs) No, no, no. For God so loves the world that God gave his own personal begotten son that's the kind of love God has for the world not just for those who love him back but for the entire world for everyone even those who resist him even those who don't claim him even those who deny his existence he loves them also so we can't be selective in who we love If we're going to love like God, it doesn't mean that we have to completely accept everything somebody says or does or thinks or the way they act. That's not love. Jesus never tolerated sin. He never tolerated deception. He never tolerated false followers. But while still loving them, he rebuked them. He, He called them out. He challenged them to follow him. You see, love means forgiving even when we've been wronged. Jesus said, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. It means forgiving. Jesus forgives and he tells us to forgive. There are always consequences to sin. We know that. But Jesus loves us through, loves us through all of our sin, through all of our failures, through all of our negative traits. God loves us through all of those things and he helps us to learn from them and we're to love others in the very same way that he loves us. 
Now, those are all things you know. I haven't told, I haven't told you one thing new this morning. And the Thessalonians knew that. But here's the thing. He says, you can improve on that. You can do better. And he's going to talk about that in a minute. You see, we never, we never ever reach the point in our lives where we go, okay, I've heard that before. <laughs> you turn on your smartphone, you start looking at Facebook, right? No, no, no. You never, get, you never get to the point of saying, I know how to love like I need to love. Could we just move on to some deeper theological issue, you know? Could we talk about supralapsarianism or something, you know? <laughs> we never ever get to that point. We always need to be learning and improving on our love. It's kind of like an athlete. They're out there running, and, and the coach goes, you can do better. You go, man, I don't know. I've just run as fast as I can. I think you could run that one second faster. And he encourages them to do better. I mean, they're at the top of the pack. They're at the top of the field. But the coach says, you can do better. And I think that's what's happening here. Is that Paul says, I know you know all this, you're loving, you're doing this already, but I think you can do better. By nature, you know, we struggle with love. We want to be loved, but we don't want to put ourselves out in order to love because to love that way means taking our eyes off of ourselves once in a while. You see, we love because God loves and we leave, love each other because we're all created in the, in, the, in, the, in the image of God. And by nature, we're all valuable. Whether a person believes in God or not. They're created in the image of God. The image of God is stamped in their hearts. And they're valuable. And we love them. Now, in the next verses, Paul takes the concept of loving one another. And he moves it to another level. Moves it to another level. I was a little bit shocked by this when I read it, but he encourages them, as we've been talking about, to excel even more. Look at verse 10. Let me get back to my book, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 10. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Everybody knows that. You're loving people. You're loving one another. But, he says, we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. He said to them, I know, I know, I know your, your nature. You're a loving people. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I, know, I know you're practicing this. All of Macedonia knows what you're doing. But I just want you to take it a step farther. And I want you to be better at what you're already doing. And in one sense, this is rather obvious to us. In that it's our goal to be like Christ. If it's our goal to be like Christ. If it's God's goal in us to be like Christ. If the Holy Spirit lives in us. Then regardless of how much we love now. We can always stand to do better. Because we're not God yet. We're to love like God. But we're not God yet. And so we can always improve in how we love. And that's the exhortation that Paul is giving to us and to the Thessalonian church this morning. However, he takes it a step farther. And he says, I'm not only encouraging you in your depth of love, not only in your ability to love like God, but now I want you to grow in your breadth of love. Depth and breadth. 
When you read the entire passage, you realize that this church already loves one another, but he also wants them to love those outside as well. Look at where he's taking them as we skip down to verse 12. So that you may walk properly before outsiders and to be dependent on no one. In other words, not only are we called, that's an incomplete phrase in verse 12 there, should be say outsiders and dependent on no one. That was probably my fault. In other words, what is he saying by that? He's not saying, I don't want you to depend on anyone. That's not what he's saying. Paul is commanding them in verse 11 to love, love one another, love those outside the church. And, and I, want you to, I want you to catch that fully. To love one another, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job of that. Keep doing that and go deeper in that. But now I want you to also love those outside the church. Keep loving one another. Do that outside too. Let them see the love you have for one another for them too. Our response to that admonition is probably either, oh, that's scary. I don't know if I can do that. Or, okay, that's good, but I don't know how to do that. I don't know what to do. Where do I start? And those are really good questions that Paul gives answers for. And so he begins by giving us three areas of our own lives that we need to improve upon, that we need to be careful to look at and examine so that we don't kill our witness to those outside of the church and maybe even to those inside of the church. He says in verse, in verse 11, <clears throat> and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. You read that and you go, whew, what in the world does that have to do with love? All right, is that what you did just now in your mind? You went, whew, what does that have to do with love? What, Paul, aspire to live quietly Mind your own affairs. Work with your own hands. That looks like that doesn't have anything to do with love. Let me try to explain that for you. You see, here, here's the bottom line. If we offend people with what we say and with our actions, we're going to lose the, the right, the ability to share Christ with them. If we're not careful in how we act, what we do around those to know Christ, we lose credibility to be able to share Christ with them. Some, I've literally heard some people say, well, I don't care what people think about me. Like, I do whatever I want. You know, I can say, what I don't care what they think. That's such a foolish statement because they ought to care what they think about them. Paul was very concerned about what people thought about him. Uh, that's why he makes statements like in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have my, made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. <laughs> Paul, Paul says, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. He could have said, I don't care. I don't care what they think. But he says, I do care what they think. In fact, even though I am free, I make myself a servant to them. I sacrificially give myself so that I can win the credibility to win more of them to Jesus Christ. 
He was willing to sacrifice everything in order to maintain credibility. And that's not the only place we read that about the Apostle Paul. He did that many times. He conceded many times in order to have the credibility to be able to talk to people about Christ. But then he goes on and he gives us three habits that could affect our credibility. You say, well, what, what is it that I'm doing or could potentially do that would damage my credibility? Well, the first one is what I'm going to call busyness. He says in verse 11, aspire to live quietly. Now, when we read that, we go, ah, that's a really odd thing to do. Like, I'm not a quiet person. Like, you know, I'm an extrovert. I'm out there. I'm, you know, and that's not what he's talking about. In fact, the word aspire in the Greek language, or in your translation, perhaps it's the word ambition, means to love or to seek after honor. Okay, hang on. Look at the second word, quiet. Aspire, love, seek after honor. The word quiet in the Greek language is kind of the opposite, meaning to be still, to be quiet and tranquil. Now you squish those together, and what he's saying is, Be ambitious, but not in the worldly sense of the word. Be our ambition is to be different from that of the world in that we're to lead a quiet life. Now, that doesn't mean that you sit in your house and you're just, you know, you're quiet. Shh, shh, turn the TV down. We're living quietly in our house. Shh, kids, be quiet. We're Christians. No, that's... (laughs) <laughs> that's not what it means at all. It, it, but, but rather, it's, it's to be tranquil in the sense of contentment. Does that make sense now? To be, to be, in other words, stop complaining about what you don't have and be thankful for what you do have and let the world know that. Let them see that part of you. Don't always be discontented and restless, always wanting something more and not being satisfied with what you have. We're to be contented and live a fulfilled life in Christ. Live at peace with your circumstances. Don't always be complaining. Be thankful for what you have, the answers that you've found. Show a little tranquility in this rat race world that we live in. That's what he's saying. And by doing that, you win credibility because everybody else is going, how come you're living in such peace? Like, you know, all this is going on. How come you're not? And, and you're just going, well, you know, God's in control of that. And, and, and it, it attracts them because they don't know that kind of life. They don't know how to live that way. But that's God's love shining through you. Secondly, he says in verse 11, mind your own affairs. How many times have you wanted to say that to people? You know, mind your own business. When they butt into your private conversation, mind your own business. When they offer some unsolicited advice, mind your own business, right? When they have nosy questions, mind your own business. We want to say that sometimes, right? But with, with, with what we've learned in the past points, that may be what he's saying, but, but I think more clearly in the Greek language, uh, it helps us understand really what he's saying. And, and the phrase in the Greek language is simply, do your own. That's all it says. It doesn't, it doesn't say affairs or business. It just, it just says, do your own. So, so what is he talking about there? 
Well, I think instead of talking about meddling in somebody else's affairs, I think he's saying, mind your own affairs. Does that make sense? Mind your own business first. Be responsible. I think he's talking about irresponsible people, frankly. I think he's talking about people who aren't minding their own business. They're not taking care of themselves, and they're pointing a finger at everybody else and telling them how to live, but they're not doing it themselves. I think that's what he's talking about. These are people who aren't dependable. Somebody else is always having to come behind them and bail them out. You probably know people like that. And the scriptures talk a lot about these kind of slothful people. For example, uh, back in the book of Proverbs, I'm sure you know this, this passage. In chapter 24, uh, the Proverbs writes, I passed by the field of a sluggard and by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles. His stone wall was broken down. And I saw and I considered it. I looked and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. That's who he's talking about here. It's this kind of person that he's addressing. He's saying, mind your own business. Before you start trying to correct other people, tell them how to live their lives, he says, take care of your own life first. Maybe it's as simple as paying your bills on time. Maybe it's as simple as keeping your lawn mowed so that the rest of the neighborhood doesn't look bad. See, that's, 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 that's winning credibility. Maybe it's, maybe it's showing up to work on time and putting in an honest day's work. People are watching. You're winning credibility. Maybe it's making sure your dog doesn't bark all hours of the night, keeping the neighbors up, right? It's just winning credibility. It's, it's minding your own business. And you say, well, those are awful simple things, Pastor Moore. Yes, they are. But they're things that matter. They're things that people pay attention to. It's the world that we live in. You know, there, there are people who are watching us all the time. And the old saying is true. We're the only Bible some people will ever read. And if it starts with us gaining credibility and minding our own affairs, taking care, it goes a long way. The third exhortation, verse 11, he says to work with your hands. And again, we think, oh, now he's telling us to work harder. No, he's not telling you that. He's not saying, I want you to become a tent maker like me. That, that's not what he's saying. Paul was a tent maker, you know, by trade. And he took care of some of his own needs by, by helping to make tents. But the admonition is to rather earn a living and not become a drain on society. In other words, resist the entitlement mentality. Now, we all know there are people who need a leg up, right? We're not talking about those kind of people. We're talking about able-bodied people, people who are able, but they don't. <laughs> people who can, but they decide not to. And they become a drain on society. Again, I'm not talking about people who aren't able. There's a lot of different reasons that people can't. And we're okay with that. But we're saying there are a lot of people who can but don't. That's what Paul is talking about. Paul was a great example of this. If you go back to the book of Acts and, uh, what is it, chapter 20... Go there with me. Acts chapter 20. He says in verse 33. Listen, this is his own kind of ex experience. It, it's his testimony. He says to them, 
um, to the Ephesian elders. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In other words, he says, hey, now they certainly supported him. The churches supported Paul. There's no question about that. But there were times when Paul worked with his own hands. He became a laborer for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ to take care of some of his own needs and those around him, his companions that followed him. Now, in, in Thessalonica, here, this could have been the situation as we read historians and, and, and church fathers, etc. It could have been that there were some Thessalonian believers who just believed that Jesus was going to return like tomorrow, right? They thought he was going to come really quick. And so it could have been that there were some of them who quit their jobs and they're sitting on their rooftops waiting for Jesus to come back. And, you know, 10 days later, they start to get hungry. And so they holler down to their neighbor, hey, could you throw me up a loaf of bread? I'm hungry up here. Well, how come you're hungry? I quit my job. Why did you quit your job? Because Jesus is coming back. And he goes, go to work. <laughs> right? That's what he, that could have been happening in Thessalonica. So he says, hey, you guys who are just being a drain on society, you're not doing anything to help yourself. You're not working for a living. You know, you need to go back to work. There are many scriptures that speak to this idea of earning your way in society. Proverbs 18, 9 Whoever is slack in his own work is a brother to him who destroys. Proverbs 10, 4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone does not work, let him not eat. Go to, take care of your, your needs. Why is it so important that we become contributors and not just consumers? Well, it's not because it's the way that we earn salvation. It's not, it's not a salvation passage. And it's not a way to get right with God by doing the right things. No, but it's because this is how God designed us to be from the very beginning. He created the garden. He said to Adam and Eve, now go to work. Go till the garden. Take care. Pick the fruit. Prune, prune the trees. He told him to go to work. And then after the fall, what did he do? He, he says, now you're going to have to pull weeds. Right? Still work. Still, still busy with your hand. He didn't just say, get out. No, he said, now the ground is cursed. Now you're going to have to work harder to produce fruit and vegetables. And by the way, there's going to be some weeds that get in your way now. And you're going to have to pull the weed. But he still said, work. Work for what you have. It's, it's how God created us. Our, the DNA in us means that we, we do things to earn a living. Huh. God wants us to work because it helps fulfill his purpose for us. If you look back at the context of 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 to 8, Pastor Mark preached about last week, it's a practical outworking of our holiness. It's a practical outworking of being, be, becoming holy. It's a way of showing love to those around us. How? By, by taking care of our own affairs. By being dependable. By working hard so that we're not being seen as taking advantage of society. Hey, if those who aren't Christians work hard, 
so should we. If they're diligent, we have to be more diligent. If they're dependable, we have to be more dependable or as dependable. And this is what Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians about. Oh, he knows that they love one another. You're doing a great job with that. But now he wants them to excel even more in their love by giving themselves so that they can earn respect of the lost world around them. And and we can win the respect of the world by growing in our holiness, becoming more like Christ. And the image of Christ in us is going to display itself in ways through our life that will attract people to Christ and not push them away. You see, it's easy to push them away. We need to attract them by our deeds of love and our actions of love towards one another and towards the outside the world. It'll affect our lifestyle. It really will. It'll affect our work. It'll affect how we work. It'll affect our relationships. It'll affect how we treat people around us and everything else in our lives. It'll make a difference. And we'll win the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. And what Paul is encouraging the church of Thessalonica to do, I think he's encouraging us to do. Let's allow what we do and what we are to be a reflection of the image of Jesus Christ in us towards one another and towards them. Lord, thank you so much for this passage that is a reminder to us. Paul Timothy said in his book, um, I know you know these things, but I'm going to remind you of them again. And Paul is doing the same thing here. And we thank you for the reminder. Thank you for the encouragement to love one another and those outside of our Christian circles. Lord, may all of these practical things that we've talked about today become so real and so true in our lives that people could not avoid seeing Jesus in us. For Jesus, you loved us so much that you came and you died on the cross for us. And now you want us to love in the same kind of a way. Help us to do that by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Mark, for those words of encouragement to deliver.